Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. January 16th, 1986. Today is the 37-year anniversary of Herbert W. Armstrong's death. Mr. Armstrong was the founder of the Worldwide Church of God, the predecessor to the Philadelphia Church of God today. And he was the most influential televangelist of the entire 20th century. But things started very small. Today we're going to go through a list of milestones in Mr. Armstrong's life and just recap his legacy. He really did have the ultimate legacy. Herbert W. Armstrong was born on July 31st, 1892 in Des Moines, Iowa. In the summer of 1908, he received his spark of ambition. He was about 16 years old at this time. And an employer encouraged and complimented him. For the first time, Mr. Armstrong realized that he could be a success in life. And this went on to make all the difference for him. No longer was he drifting along. He had ambition. He had drive. And this became very evident as he served God's work later on. July 31st, 1917, Mr. Armstrong married Loma Dillon in Chicago, Illinois. In the fall of 1920, a flash depression wiped out Mr. Armstrong's advertising business. This was a huge trial for Mr. Armstrong. He used his spark of ambition at age 16 to really pursue success in the business world. He got educated in advertising, especially from his uncle Frank. He didn't really go to college for it. He just became a master at how to convince people, how to reach hearts and minds. And he used that talent to build his own advertising business. And by all physical metrics, his business should have succeeded. Yet every single time Mr. Armstrong tried to build something on his own, it failed. God was pushing him in a different direction. In the fall of 1926, so six years later, Mr. Armstrong was challenged into a diligent Bible study. He was forced to prove for himself once and for all the theory of evolution and the Sabbath day. Were these beliefs true or were they false? Here is what Mr. Armstrong wrote in Mystery of the Ages. My research was totally different from that of students in a seminary. They absorb what they are taught in the doctrines of their denomination. But I had been called specially by the living God. 
I was taught by Christ what I did not want to believe, but what he showed me was true. So, Mr. Armstrong was challenged by a relative on the theory of evolution, and at the same time, his wife challenged him and said they should be keeping the Sabbath day. Mr. Armstrong wanted to disprove evolution and <laughs> prove his relative wrong, but he also wanted to disprove the Sabbath day so that he and his wife wouldn't have to start keeping it. Now, he did succeed in disproving evolution, but he failed to disprove the Sabbath. This was all part of an intensive night and day, six-month study. In the midst of Mr. Armstrong's employment struggles, he had some extra free time. Not a lot of us could say that we have a six-month block open to study as in-depth as Mr. Armstrong did. But Mr. Armstrong finally proved for himself. He was forced to admit to his wife that, yes, the Sabbath day is still in effect today and they should be keeping it. And by extension, obviously, God exists. That's why the Sabbath day is still in effect. So evolution is false. In 1927, Mr. Armstrong was baptized. And in August 1927, his wife recovered from a combination of Quincy, blood poisoning, a dog bite, and some other sicknesses as well. And from this experience, from this experience, they learned that God's promise to heal is absolute. You can look at Psalm 103, verse 3. It talks about God forgiving our sins and healing our sickness. Psalm 103, verse 3. The promises of salvation and healing go hand in hand. And Mr. Armstrong learned that healing promise by personal experience in August of 1927. In the summer of 1928, Mr. Armstrong gave his first sermon. In June of 1931, Mr. Armstrong was ordained into the ministry of Jesus Christ. July of 1933, Mr. Armstrong gave a lecture series in Eugene, Oregon, and that led into the start of God's worldwide work. This is all printed in the Good News magazine from the WCG not long after Mr. Armstrong died. January 7th, 1934, the World Tomorrow radio program first goes on the air. February of 1934, The Plain Truth begins publication. And in February of 1939, The Good News is first published. So here we have these three big events with radio and the two largest publications of God's work. And a lot of people after Mr. Armstrong died paid tribute to him and they, they commented on Mr. Armstrong's 
contributions to God's work. Uh, speaking of his, his impact on TV and radio, this is what the director of media services in the WCG, Larry Omasta, said. Mr. Armstrong had a natural gift for communication. Although he did not begin to make regular television broadcasts until he was in his 80s, he quickly adapted to the medium. Mr. Armstrong showed a keen interest in every aspect of the telecast. Many people never adjust to speaking to a camera, but Mr. Armstrong knew that the camera lens represented a world that needed the message he had to deliver. That, I think, is what made him such a compelling speaker. He did not speak at his audience. He spoke to them. Mr. Armstrong made his telecast seem so natural and easy that many people do not realize how hard he had to work. Toward the end, when his vision had almost totally failed, so that he could hardly read, and the bright lights hurt his eyes, he would still find ways to overcome the problems and make the program. All of us in the studio will not forget those recording sessions. Mr. Armstrong had a way of making you want to work hard for him. His determination and courage to fulfill the commission that God gave him was a genuine inspiration to all of us. Again, that's Larry Omasta, Director of Media Services in the WCG, speaking about Mr. Armstrong after he died. Here is just one more comment on his speaking, his World Tomorrow broadcasts. This was from Norman A. Smith, an engineer on those early World Tomorrow radio broadcasts about Mr. Armstrong. He did not speak as if speaking to a huge crowd, even though thousands were listening. He knew people listened alone or perhaps two or three in a family. Having this concept in mind, he had the ability to look directly at the microphone and be so personal that listeners thought he was talking directly to them. This same ability was evident in the telecast. He would often explain that he wasn't turning the world upside down. The world was already upside down, and he was turning it right side up. That's a great, a great quote. I love that. Anyway, back to this timeline of events. October 8th, 1947, Mr. Armstrong opened Ambassador College in Pasadena. It began with just eight faculty members and four students. And Mr. Armstrong had to struggle to keep the college on track. He was hiring some worldly scholars who didn't necessarily believe in Mr. Armstrong's Bible teachings. And so Mr. Armstrong had to make sure that the Bible stayed at the foundation of the college even if those scholars didn't want it that way. There's some really entertaining history about that in Mr. Armstrong's autobiography, which you can get a copy of for free at thetrumpet.com. July 1955 is when the World Tomorrow first appeared on television. So that was uh, 21 years after it began on radio. September 8th, 1964... 
is when Ambassador College in Big Sandy opened. So that was 17 years after the first campus opened in Pasadena, California. April 15th, 1967, Mrs. Armstrong died. And that was just three months before Mr. Armstrong and Mrs. Armstrong would have reached 50 years of marriage. January 14th, 1972, Mr. Armstrong broke ground to begin construction of Ambassador Auditorium. And May 6th, 1974 is when Mr. Armstrong dedicated the auditorium to God. And we still, to this day, often read what Mr. Armstrong prayed on that day. How he wanted God to preserve that auditorium clean and beautiful and to send out a message from there and host the most wonderful events there and to uplift all the people who visited that building. So Mr. Armstrong dedicated Ambassador Auditorium on May 6, 1974. From May 17th to 19th, of 1974, so just about a couple weeks later, Mr. Armstrong conducted a personal appearance campaign in Manila, Philippines. It was the first time he ever did an overseas personal appearance campaign, and there were 24,000 people in attendance. That just gives you an idea of the worldwide impact of God's work through Mr. Armstrong. Matthew 24 verse 14 talks about the gospel message going around the world as a witness to all nations. Mr. Armstrong certainly did that. March 18th, 1975, Mr. Armstrong started the Ambassador International Cultural Foundation and this foundation conducted cultural, humanitarian, charitable, and educational activities around the world. August of 1977, Mr. Armstrong suffered congestive heart failure at his home in Tucson, Arizona. And basically, Mr. Armstrong died, and yet God brought him back to life. God wasn't done with Mr. Armstrong yet. May 18th, 1978, Mr. Armstrong announced his decision to return to regular broadcasting on the world tomorrow. So less than a year after essentially dying, he came back. January 3rd, 1979, the state of California attempted to take over the Worldwide Church of God. And from January 22nd to 24th of 1979, nearly 5,000 WCG members packed into the Hall of Administration and the college grounds to prevent the receiver from entering church facilities. So this was a satanic attack on God's church at the end of the 1970s. And it was a time when a lot of enemies attacked the church from within. That's what led to the state of California also attacking the church. 
There were rebels inside God's own church trying to destroy it. In 1974, there was a massive rebellion in the WCG where 35 ministers and 2,000 members left the church. And Mr. Armstrong's own son, Garner Ted, tried to take over the church during this time. He was changing Bible doctrines, and he was tearing down the godly standard on campus. Mr. Armstrong wrote about this. God Almighty and Jesus Christ were virtually thrown out of the college and were rapidly being thrown out of the church. This was a serious time in the church. Finally, Mr. Armstrong had to disfellowship his own son from the church, which was a heartbreaking moment in his life. But you know what? Because of Mr. Armstrong's efforts to keep the church on track so that they would keep on following God, the church withstood those internal rebellions. The church withstood those attacks by the state of California. And they only got even stronger. Notice here some of the fruits that resulted because of Mr. Armstrong's efforts. Right after this tumultuous decade of the 1970s, the work just grew exponentially. Between the late 1970s and 1986, when Mr. Armstrong died, annual income soared from 75 million to 200 million. Plain Truth magazine circulation went from 1 million to over 8 million. And the television stations carrying The World Tomorrow went from just 50 in 1978 to nearly 400 by the end of Mr. Armstrong's life. Those were the good fruits of Mr. Armstrong sacrificing and doing everything he possibly could to keep the church moving in the right direction. It was certainly a worthy effort. The work grew enormously. God worked miracles and he expanded the reach of the work so much after the church endured the 1970s rebellion. On October 14th, 1980, the California Attorney General finally announced the dismissal of the state of California's suit against the church. February 13th, 1985, the Pasadena Chamber of Commerce awarded Mr. Armstrong its Civic Achievement Award. And during that ceremony, the chamber president, Cy Graff, said, in his own quiet way, Mr. Armstrong has done more to promote positive relations between countries than has the State Department. So again, that was a big part of why the church went off track in the 1970s. 
Mr. Armstrong was traveling over 300 days a year during that time, reaching out to the world, fulfilling his commission in Matthew 24, verse 14. And so the rebels thought, okay, Mr. Armstrong's gone, and we're going to hijack the church. But it didn't work. July 29th, 1985. Mr. Armstrong's last book, Mystery of the Ages, went to press. He had begun writing it in January of 1985. He spent hundreds of hours writing it. And he called it one of the most important books of our day. He also called it the second most important book on earth after the Bible. This book was requested like crazy. He offered the book to 480,000 Good News subscribers and almost 100,000 of them requested the book within 10 days. 740,000 copies of Mystery of the Ages had already been requested by the end of December 1985. So in just a few months, nearly a million people received their own copy of Mystery of the Ages. August 1985, Mr. Armstrong taped his final two World Tomorrow broadcasts, and then he became ill. January 10th, 1986, Mr. Armstrong appointed Joseph W. Tkach, Director of Church Administration, to the office of Deputy Pastor General so that Mr. Tkach would become the Pastor General whenever Mr. Armstrong died. So that was just six days before Mr. Armstrong actually did die. Now, as we know, and you can learn all about it in Raising the Ruins, which we've been talking about on the show recently, and you can get a free copy of Raising the Ruins at thetrumpet.com. Mr. Armstrong's successors did betray him. But here's what Joseph Takach said after Mr. Armstrong died. He was paying tribute to Mr. Armstrong, and this is what he said. Mr. Armstrong's whole life was sharply focused around one thing, the work of God. He lived, ate, slept, and breathed Christ's commission to the church. All his conversations and discussions were either directly about or soon got around to God's plan, the gospel, the church, the work, or the Bible. The joy of his life was doing the will of God, and he carried right on doing it until the end of his long and eventful life. That's right. The treacherous leader who destroyed the WCG after Mr. Armstrong died really did say that about Mr. Armstrong. What a traitor. January 16th, 1986, Mr. Armstrong at age 93 died at 5.59 a.m. at his home in Pasadena. January 18th, Mr. Takach announced the decision to rename Mr. Armstrong's home the Herbert W. Armstrong Memorial Hall. January 19th, 1986, Mr. Armstrong was buried in Altadena, California at the Mountain View Cemetery next to his wife, Loma, his son, Richard, and his mother, Eva. And finally, January 26th, 1986, the World Tomorrow broadcast played a memorial tribute to Mr. Armstrong, and it received more than 100,000 responses 
requesting Mystery of the Ages. What an epic life. The ultimate legacy of Herbert W. Armstrong. Zechariah 4 verse 6 says, This is the word of the Eternal unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Eternal of hosts. We can prove to you that Mr. Armstrong fulfilled the end time office of Zerubbabel. And God reminds us, yes, Mr. Armstrong did accomplish a lot, but it was, be, it was by the power of God's Holy Spirit. It was through that power that all of these incredible events took place in Mr. Armstrong's life. Just one more quote here. This is from Leroy Neff, the WCG treasurer. And we'll just conclude with this. No one I have known has had such singleness of thought and purpose. Most of his thoughts and conversation related to God's work and God's word. I found him to be the most generous person I have ever known. His generosity to many people over the years has been evident. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 12 p.m. Central Time.